The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is The Conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. Social media cannot begin to touch this level of traction. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. The added benefit will be tons of content you can repurpose across social media easily. No more writing blogs. It also makes your sales force much more agile. Having a podcast is a great lead generation tool. It's a pull marketing tool to bring people to your website, people that are interested in your product. So nothing works faster, not to mention it's great for your search engine optimization. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. Now on to our show. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're here for Culture Factor 2.0. This one is a little untraditional. I had a bit of an uncharacteristic beginning. I had some technical issues, and my friend Larry Roberts jumped in to record this. And Shelly Zalis, who is the powerhouse I'm interviewing, took the stage like the boss she is and jumped in with a conversation with uh, David Waraboff, a friend of hers. So it's going to start with him speaking and the beginning part of our conversation with him before we uh, veer into the direction of Culture Factor 2.0 as I originally intended uh, this episode to go. So I hope you really enjoy it and thanks so much. We create metrics, um, KPIs, we call them, that are things that are important to us as a, as, a, as a leadership, as a company. We invite all people right from the top to the last person, the bottom, all the way across. Everybody has a role in it. Everybody has, a, as a, uh, so to speak, a, how do you call it, like a, a point system. And so everybody has points from bottom to top, and they all drive towards the same common goals. And I believe that those kind of systems are extremely important because just talking about things in a company uh, usually does not work from my background, at least, especially if the companies are very large. It's very hard to perpetuate your feelings down to, you know, 80,000 employees, right? It's it's extremely difficult, 100,000 employees at Boeing. So that's my two cents. First of all, I'm so happy to hear from you and to, to see you. And also to just hear your pearls of wisdom. I love the fact that in this room we have all men for the most part, other than Holly, Shelley, and Tennille. And we talk about gender equality is not a female issue. It's a social and economic issue. And when we talk about point systems or organizing diversity training or cultural training, it's usually, you know, women of color that raise their hand, taking it on as their responsibility. 
But one of the things we talk a lot about is we for we, we're all in this together. Everyone has to be part of the solution and we can't just talk about it, but we have to create the solutions for change. So David, I actually just wanted to ask you a question because you talked about KPIs for performance and being a black belt. Do you give different points and you get different belts based on different metrics or different levels of achievement and success? Is that how you get different color belts? So uh, my first time speaking in Clubhouse, so I apologize if my uh, technical skills are not that good on this either. So no, the black belt process is a very, it was created from uh, GE and it's a, it's a process that measures um, really what it is, is you create little groups that have goals. So if the goal is to have workers, workman's compensation, workman's comp uh, costs go down, then you would create a group that have experts in all, in all of those different areas that relate to that topic. And then you have a process expert who's a, called a black belt or master black belt. And you get a black belt and a master black belt by having enough groups that you've mentored and having enough dollar success. So you get measured on the savings that you create in those groups or the money that you make for your company is measured. And then based on that money that you've saved or made and based on the number of groups you mentored, you become a black belt. That's how that works. But once you have a group um, and you're mentoring it, it's the most powerful tool that those groups have, at least for me, because I was more concentrating on business, um, business metrics was something called voice of the customer. And voice of the customer is when you go out to all the different customers you have and, and you create a surveys and questionnaires that pulls the importance, th important things from the customers because there's things that are like must-haves, there are things that are nice to have, you know, there's different categories of requirements. Everybody wants to believe that what they think is important is a must-have. Well, must-haves cost money usually, and so you can't have everything as a must-have. So it's a, it's a process of really taking all your customers' views so you have 100 inputs and then separating them by the things that really are, are game-changers and things that are kind of like nice to have one day if it happened. And then your solutions that you come up with obviously then are going to use the inputs from those customers so you know your solution is going to be very positive then because you're satisfying your customers' needs, if that makes sense. No, it's but, genius. It's it's reward for the must-to-haves and, you know, versus the nice-to-haves. Correct. But that process, and it's, of course, you know, GE is well known for the foundational, you know, good things that corporations have. So I, I love that it's based on the GE model and that the black belt is basically the process manager. Yep. Yep. And ex executives like, you know, from uh, Northrop Grumman, for instance, uh, hated that, but they were bought by, um, so Northrop Grumman bought TRW, for instance, right? So the cultures were opposite, completely opposite. TRW was a college campus and Northrop Grumman was a hardcore business company. And they realized that when they bought TRW, that things were not going well. The communications, the, the atmosphere, the way people spoke to each other was completely opposite. So they had to do something. So here's a cult, two, two diverse cultures in business. And they use Six Sigma as a way to, or any mechanism, any common way of communicating as a way to teach the executives of both sides and then propagate it down. And it was extremely successful to the point where Northrop stock, for instance, was diving down. We, we bought TRW at, I think, $50 a share, and we went down to $22 a share. And then after we started announcing these new 
uh, profit-oriented teams that we had for Six Sigma, our stocks went up to $70 a share. Well, $70 a share from 20 for a company that's worth, you know, $60 billion, that's a big, big deal, a really big deal. So it works. Wow, that's that's remarkable. Holly, whenever you're ready, jump in. I am ready. And I want to thank everybody for um, just being so considerate. The one thing I love about Clubhouse is there's a sense of community here. Um, I've been recording here, no problem, for a long time, but my phone took a nosedive and it broke the little dongle. <laughs> and I was having dongle issues. Nobody likes those. Um, but I want to just in advance thank everybody who has been carrying the conversation while I got this together. And a big shout out to Larry, who's working right now, so he doesn't want to participate, but he's recording for us. So thank you, Larry, for that. And um, welcome, Shelly Zalis, to Culture Factor 2.0. Oh, thank you, Holly. Happy to be here. And I like that I, I speak a lot about Culture Factor that I could um, – pinch hit while you were getting set up. And I have to say, before we even start, Craig Wellsbacher, I see you. I cannot believe that you are here in the club. Tanil, you got to bring Craig up. Craig and I have worked together for, you know, I don't know, 20-something years. I haven't seen him in a few years, so so happy to see you on Clubhouse. I sent Craig an invite, so hopefully he'll, he'll come up. Okay, Holly, it's your show, so take ah. the lead. All right. Well, you know what? I think that I would be remiss if I didn't do a proper introduction to anybody in the room who is not as familiar with Shelly Zalis um, as I am. So with that said, welcome Shelly Zalis and everybody. Shelly is the CEO of the Female Quotient. It's an internationally renowned, well, actually she's an internationally renowned thought leader movement maker and champion of equality. She's a pioneer for online research, becoming the first female chief executive ranked in the research industry's top 25. And today, as CEO, Shelley Zells works with Fortune 500 companies and impact organizations to advance equality in the workplace. Through its signature pop-up experience, the Equality Lounge, along with FQ Next Gen and FQ Global Pack, the Female Quotient has created a multi-generational, international community of women rising up to catalyze change. She's also a firm believer in giving back with generosity, and Shelley is a proud mentor to women around the world. So I just had to give you your intro because it's too amazing. And I also want, she probably doesn't remember this because she had a room full, she was standing room only across from Advertising Week in September of 2019 when I was in one of these lounges, the Equality Lounge. And I'm not kidding you, it was shoulder to shoulder with women, men, and everybody just literally soaking it all in because there's nobody who is more schooled in this than Shelly. So I'm so excited that I get the floor with her a little bit, but I'm going to let her carry the floor because she has so much more to say. So what I do want to point out is that in, in looking at her website, there's some interesting statistics and I'd like to give her an opportunity to speak to those and I want to look a little bit into her advancing equality calculator um, and and how we could look at changing the culture of business to be to bring equality into to the equation so Shelly on your website 
It says for every 100 men promoted and hired to manager, only 72 women are promoted and hired. And that men hold 62% of manager level positions while women hold just 38%. And it's decreasing at every subsequent level. Women also account for less than a third of senior roles globally and make 82 cents on the dollar of every dollar a man earns. So I'm curious, you know, we're looking at uh, a gender gap of, of uh, I guess, 99.5 years it shows on here. Help us. What, what are you doing to, to help change this landscape? Because I know you have been, you know, leading the charge and I'm going to mute while you talk. Oh, first of all, thank you, Holly. And I do remember that moment in Advertising Week. You are very memorable, um, A, because you use your voice for change and you definitely stand up and stand out. So I, I remember that moment very clearly and so happy to be here with you and everyone else that has joined. And I see my friends have joined. Liz, I see you too. Um, so very exciting. Um, you know, I think, first of all, one of the things that we say is, Equality is a choice. Unconscious bias is an excuse. If you use the word unconscious, you're conscious. So why, when we are aware of the fact that we have such a tremendous pay gap, 82 cents on the dollar for women in general, 64 cents for black women, 53 cents for Latina women, you know, if we know that there is this gap and we believe in equal pay for equal work, then what's the option? You do something or you don't. You don't wait and watch for legacy to, you know, jump ahead of reality. It, it takes a long time for that to catch up. So the only way you can close the gap is by closing the door of inequity and open a new one of equality, basically. So now that we are aware of the gap, um, we need to do something about it. The unfortunate thing is we have set ourselves back an additional 25 years with COVID. And when you think about the implications of COVID, you know, the entry level positions have been pretty much eliminated, which happened to be predominantly positions held by women. We've had furloughs, um, job elimination, salary reduction, and then the one that is the scariest when we talk about the she session um, is the um, elective opting out. So many uh, primary caregivers that are women of children of young age that now also have the responsibility of homeschooling and, you know, Zoom schooling or whatever you want to call it and taking full responsibility, women just can't do it all. And so they are intentionally, uh, consciously opting out. And so that really has set us back um, in significant ways. When you also look at the levels that rise to senior managements and the statistics, Holly, that you just quoted, you know, the biggest problem that we have is we start historically 50-50 in the workplace, and I'm talking pre-COVID, and, and then we lose, we end at less than 17% in the C-suite. So where we lose women is in middle management, or what we call the messy middle. This is where women have more responsibility at home, more responsibility at work, juggling it all, you know, how do you do it all, work-life balance, the imposter syndrome, you know, guilt, not spending enough time with your children, this is where we have the greatest challenge. And then when we look at the levels of men versus women promoted, because you put a lot of statistics out there, men 
in general are promoted based on potential and women on past performance. So you can see that this is just a cyclical effect on um, chicken or egg of where you know the problems exist. And then of course, women returnship, women that take time off for maternity leave, whether it's three months, six months, three years, six years, um, it's, I don't care what companies say, it's very hard to return into a corporate world after being out of it. You know, technology has evolved, process, procedure has changed. You still have the responsibility, you know, for your children, not just for the first three months of their life, but your whole life has evolved and changed. You know, and that's why I talk about life stage accommodation. So all of these things impact. And then when women do come back, if they have PTA on their resume, they are six times less likely to be hired than not having PTA. So, you know, all of these different variables are definitely creating the um, outcomes that you've just sourced um, today. So that's the problem. There are some great solutions which we could talk about, but those today are the challenges that we are facing. Shelley, uh, you know, the invisible work is a conversation that I've had on my podcast for an entire year because while women have been trying to stay in the workforce, if they have not been furloughed or let go, they are trying to carry the load. And I'm not saying that men are bad and no men are doing this. So let me just say, I I know a lot of um, families that share the load, but there is just too high a percentage that don't. Or if it's a single mother, for example, there's no no one to farm that work out to. It's just the invisible work. So how, how do you manage a home and work, right? You know, Eve Rosky really has coined the phrase, you know, of invisible work and predictability, you know, predictable flexibility. And how do we create um, a new culture? Not, you know, people say, oh, we're going to go back to work. First of all, we're not going back to anything. We've been all working and working harder than we've ever worked before. We might be going back to an office. And so, you know, this invisible work is is really important because caregiving is one of those unrecognized um, dimensions of our life. And when men are primary caregivers, they have the same challenge. They can't work late hours. They can't travel as often. They need to time block their schedules in different ways to accommodate, especially during COVID. Actually, I also see that um, Fumzili has um, joined. When, When she comes on, she'll be a great person to incorporate talking about the care economy. It's what we're starting to talk about a lot the care economy and how do we create a structure that allows everyone to be able to juggle their family and their work successfully, you know, create a culture. When you talk about culture and your whole show is about the culture factor, how do we create a culture that allows us to hire and retain our best talent, not just our available talent and life stage accommodate along our journey because everyone has different challenges. When you look at the invisible work or caregiving pre-COVID, a lot of people depended on their parents to help them take care of their children while they were working. We've just eliminated that with COVID. People haven't been able to see their parents. They haven't been able to be together with their parents. So that just came off the table. 
or we often hear, well, because of COVID, now if you are a dual income partnership, the partner that usually is not the primary caregiver is now at home to help with the responsibility. But at the end of the day, it still is by default the woman that takes that responsibility, even with everyone staying at home. But we do see that flexibility does work. And so what you're hearing a lot about with the culture factor in the workplace or going back to office, we're going to start having maybe mandatory two-day-a-week or three-day-a-week in office so that you still have the water cooler effect, but two-day-a-week flexibility to work at home. And so I think that will go a long way as long as it's not elective so that women and women of color and primary caregivers become the exception. As long as that becomes the new norm, then I think that will go a long way to you know, flexible predictability and time blocking and being able to have a family and a career at the same time. And of course, negotiation with your partner to share the responsibility at home, or as Procter & Gamble says, share the load at home. And that will go a long way to, you know, dual equal partnerships in the workplace as well. Shelly, that's amazing. Um, on I, I want to jump to your website again to a couple things I noticed on there because, you know, I definitely want to look at the positive side and what we can all do as a society. I mean, I know I started with some harsh numbers, but I think sometimes we have to look at the reality before we can start to posit an idea for the future. You know, on there, you talk about more equitable post pandemic recovery and that it could add 13 trillion to the global GDP by 2030. Is that um, talking about what you, you just said or does that include other tactical measures? So what, what we talk a lot about is when, I'm not gonna say if we close the pay gap, when we close the pay gap, we have an opportunity to add over $28 trillion to the global GDP by 2025. When we close the pay gap, we have an opportunity to add over $4.3 trillion to the U.S. GDP by 2025. And so we know that um, pay parity is good for the economy. More money goes in our pocket. And when you look at more money going into women's pockets, and I'm not saying more, many, more money than men, but an equitable contribution, equal pay for equal work, and putting more women you know, in the workplace, and when you look at the correlation, over 85% of purchase decisions are made by women. That amounts to a lot of money entering into the economy. So we built, um, we created an advancing equality calculator with City in partnership. It's a free tool, and it's a tool to allow leaders to be more conscious. You know, I, I told you I can't stand when people say it's implicit bias, it's unconscious bias. <laughs> like, okay, we will give you the tools to be conscious. Once you're aware, you have a choice, do something or don't. So it's a really simple tool that you just have to push, put in three numbers. So if it's a CEO, a CMO, a CIO, a CDIO, a CHRO, a C blank, blank, O, anything like that, someone in a position of power, someone in a position of leadership, someone in a position of, account of accountability, you could put three simple numbers, average, salary, 
men, women. So we're looking at the unadjusted salary. The adjusted is based on levels, but the unadjusted, how many men, how many women, and what your average salaries are, you will be able to calculate what your pay gap is. And you'll also be able to look at the positive. When you close that gap, what can your individual corporation's contribution be to the GDP? Because if we don't have accountability for what we control, then everyone can hide behind the excuses of, you know, a big number of 28 trillion. It's easy to just say, oh yeah, and hold, point the finger at everyone else to take the responsibility. So it's just a really simple calculator. It's everywhere. It's a free tool. Look at where you are, figure out where you want to go, and then we will absolutely help you figure out how to get there from closing the gap to also potentially taking from Peter to pay Paul. We have so many policies and benefits inside of our organizations that we spend a lot of money on. Maybe it's time to take something out of one of the benefits that a company spends money on that employees either don't even know about, don't recognize, or don't value, and use it for good, like closing the pay gap. Because no one's getting more money from God, so you have to find it from somewhere. And there are so many creative solutions for finding the answers to you know, your problems, but it does take first wanting to close the gap. So, so the women that are already working, they're already in the workforce, and let's just say thankfully for the moment they haven't been furloughed or let go because they're, they're overworked with home life as well. So we're in that middle management space, and you had indicated that um, men are promoted in middle management based on what the C-suite sees in them as their future, that they see them in growth. They want to invest in their their growth and their leadership. And for women, it's based on performance. Um, and, and now, of course, they're taxed. So is there, a, for lack of a better way to put it, a tool, or is there something that could be done that would be... Um, maybe a blanket education or a blanket something that regardless of what your gender is, that everybody steps into that program so that everybody has the opportunity to be seen as, uh, you know, in a growth phase. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are the things that we're starting to work on right now because bias in, bias out. You know, when you look at sponsorship you know, when people talk about what's the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. So for us, mentorship is advice um, from someone who's been there, done that. We call it mentorship in the moment because I think you can get bits and bites from different people, from different experiences, from different places who have been there, done that. So, you know, if you have a question about your value or how to ask for a raise or what's your worth or work-life balance or imposter syndrome or perfection or, you know, any of those things, which I actually could probably give great advice on all of them because I've been there, done that. It's, it's about mentorship in the moment a moment of advice from someone who's been there, done that. Because one person doesn't doesn't have all the answers. But sponsorship is something really different. Sponsorship is someone from the top that sees you, believes in your potential, and lifts you up and is your, your biggest champion for advancement. But we also know that most sponsors pick people who look like them. So if you have white men in leadership positions, guess who they're going to pick? 
they're going to probably pick people that look like them or act like them, which is how the boys club and the golf club and, you know, all of those things have kicked in. You know, if you like to play golf, you will be in the room where it happens. If you don't like to play golf, you're not in the room where it happens. You're not seen, you're not heard, you're not visible, and you're not chosen. So one of the things that we're working on is the sponsorship model because I think it's backwards, you know, to have someone at the top pick you and bring you up. We want to turn it on its head. We're going to call it like something like proximity ship something where everyone in the company at every level should be able to pick who they want to see them and calendar 15 minutes on someone's calendar to say, I just want you to know me. Spend five minutes with someone you don't know. You are going to learn a lot. It will be such a value add that you can't even imagine until you have that experience. So how great would it be? for people in middle management to be able to get on a calendar of someone in a senior level position that they just want to see them, to hear them, to know them. That will go a long way to eliminating the bias in, bias out proposition. So we're starting to put these things in place right now and hopefully it's sticky and um, it works. And sometimes the way you have to change the equation is just by flipping the script, which flips the balance without permission, no apology necessary, permission granted, and you go. And then all of a sudden you say, wow, that wasn't so hard. It was just having a different mindset to think about the, the same problem. So I'm curious, Shelley, what if that was just reversed ever so slightly? So instead of waiting for somebody to... Um, mentor down, if you will, to find that person and, and give them that, you know, coffee break with them or lunch with the C, someone from the C-suite. Could there be some sort of um, measure, like, for lack of a better way to put it, let's just say there was like some sort of form created that a company would have available to anybody who works there and they could fill it out requesting a 15 minute coffee break um, with leadership and it could be anybody in leadership so like you said you don't know who you're going to end up with on both sides they don't know who's going to ask and, and who's going to receive but is it possible to allow people to be the emerging leadership that they want to be like to advocate for themselves and not have to do something uncomfortable, but if, if it was something that was created either like in conjunction with the C-suite and HR, that you'd simply fill out a form that you're interested in taking a 15-minute coffee break with anybody in leadership. Could, could it be reverse engineered? Yeah, so that's basically the idea. It makes it really simple for anyone in the organization to get on leadership calendar. And so the idea is that every leader at a certain level has to allot, let's say, three hours a month to um, meeting with people that want to meet them. And they're in 15-minute increments or something like that. You know, it could be half an hour, but I think 15 minutes is good. And so if you have a huge organization and a 1,000 C-suite leaders, you know, that's 3,000 hours. That's a lot of hours. And so if we allow everyone and not even having to fill out a form because that's a process of choice again, but the calendars are available and you get to put yourself on a different calendar, right? So you already are in, 
you're already vetted. You don't need permission. You don't need approval. If you're already at the company, you have the right to put yourself on. And you only can get on, let's say, three times a month because you want to leave room for everybody with different people. That takes a process out of the equation. It takes the discomfort out of the equation because you're never going to be rejected. If there's a slot on the calendar, you're in. Right. So these are the kinds of things, you know, and technology is our best friend. Technology is an enabler. So having these, you know, digital calendars that, you know, can keep track and by the way, can be a KPI for performance. Every senior leader, this should be a KPI. Did they fulfill their three, you know, their three hours a month of, you know, getting to know other people in their organization? That should be a KPI. You know, David talked about KPIs, you know, when we were speaking earlier about, you know, cultural performance. You know, we always talk about the ROI return on investment, the financial bottom line. What about ROI return on impact, impacting change and being recognized, valued, rewarded and accountable um, with KPIs for your ROI return on impact? So this is the kind of stuff that we're working on now. And of course, I'm going to have to regroup with David. I haven't seen or spoken to him in so long um, about the Black Belt GE system, because I think it's just so incredibly smart um, and, and holds everybody responsible and accountable for the culture. Talk about culture factor, the culture that we create. Culture is not about, is not in a textbook. It's not rules that you have to follow to create a culture. Culture is a reflection of our people inside of our company. And so we all need to hold ourselves responsible for creating the culture that we wanna be a part of. I'm really excited to share this with my Culture Factor 2.0 community. I've published Zero to Podcast. It was a book that I built to start my podcast and I created it for myself just so that I could make other podcasts down the road. And then I realized that it's not just for me, it's for anyone looking to try podcasting for personal or professional reasons. So I'm also really excited to tell you that it already hit the top 10 in three best-selling categories on Amazon and number one in hot new releases in two categories. And even more exciting, the University of Chicago now carries it in their bookstore. So go buy your copy and get started. Zero to Podcast will be in the show note. I'll leave a link there. Or you could go to hollyshannon.com and you could buy the book and get any help you need building it for you or your company. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview. Please go to the next episode to start the rest.